Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. I'm really ecstatic about our guest today. Our guest name is Anne Latour. She was taken to the Garden of Eden. Can you believe it? She was taken to the Garden of Eden, and she's going to tell us what she learned in the Garden of Eden. Also, the Lord gave her revelations of what happens at the very start of a church and how she says secret agents come in to dismantle it in certain ways. Also, she was actually dating a warlock and didn't know it. So she is full of surprises. She is full of information and she is full of the glory of God. And Latour, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. This is such an incredible opportunity. Thank you. Let's get to know who you are first. So Anne, as a child, did you grow up in a household with believers, unbelievers, agnostic? What did that look like for you? I actually did grow up in a household with believers. Uh, we did the whole church thing every Sunday, every Wednesday, Wednesday evening. Um, and I think probably Thursdays or other time during the week, my parents actually have hosted Bible studies in their house. So I did it all. It was studying scripture. If we did something bad, um, our punishment was like reading scripture or writing scripture. So um, I look back now as super, super religious spirit. But yeah, I did grow up in a, in a background of uh, religious believers. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. Okay. And without giving it away, tell us what happened to you in years your years, I guess, after, were you surprised because you were raised up in a Christian household or were you surprised because you were raised in a religious household? I was actually super surprised. I didn't know everything that I know now as things started coming out, um, you know, about spiritual realms, about the demonic, about witches and warlocks, it completely, like, completely sideswiped me had no clue what that was. It's like you hear about it, but for whatever reason, I would say it's a religious hex, maybe that kind of goes over us that we just don't even think about it. Um, you know, I watched Harry Potter with my son and, and said, oh, how cool would it be if, you know, there was a school that you could go to that you, you know, learned all those fun things. You know, like I, I didn't, no clue like I was ignorant I mean you know script, scripture says it so I I did have to go through a process I don't know if you did or other people have gone through a process where at first you're like angry you're you're angry and and I can't say it's a righteous anger it's just it's an anger that you just feel like you were lied to for so long that now you're and it's not even like you're coming awake you're literally moving out of one realm into a real realm so um it's it's wild <laughs> but i i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it for anything i i love knowing what i know now and how about your parents did your parents finally come around to know the truth about uh, a relationship with god and the supernatural because i know you came to that realization but did your parents ever unfortunately my father didn't he uh, took his life and he committed suicide in 2012. So we didn't even know that there was anything. We didn't know that a Christian could be oppressed. We knew he struggled. He struggled with depression for years. Um, so even when I came 
to knowing all of this, I had to process that too. Like, gosh, if, if only, if we would have known and gotten him help, he wouldn't have taken his life. Now it's not something like we can, you know, wallow in for sure, but it's definitely something we can push forward for and say, okay, I'm going to make sure that nobody else does this because they don't know they don't know that there is help out there. But with my mom, it's really exciting because she is awake to it and she's more on fire now than she ever has been. And she's happy. She looks younger. It's just, it's amazing. I'm so happy for her. So it, it is pretty incredible. Even for those of you that are like, man, I've been praying for my family members. I've been interceding. It, it, it will happen. I prayed for her for a couple years before it happened. Um, and sometimes it takes longer. Um, and the Lord is just working on their testimony. <laughs> and a few things you mentioned, I want to go over really quickly. One, I'm really sorry to hear about your father. I didn't know that. But two, it's it's really informative and good that you mentioned it because you said that you didn't know Christians can be oppressed. And a lot of people believe, especially those in certain denominations, believe that once you're a born again Christian, the devil can't attack you in that way. But obviously because of what happened to your father it can happen that way and another which is really amazing how you said once your mother realized the realization she changed she looks better can you just really touch on that super fast I know it's kind of off topic in a way but I am so for I look at people and you can tell that they have the glory of God on them and it it, it resembles on them it just it just brightens up their look talk about that really quickly how your mom looks better Oh my gosh. When you said the glory of God on, on them, like she has actually got that compliment from several like pretty high prophetic people that will say like, they'll point her out in a, in a church service and be like, you, you woman, wow, the glory of God is all over you. So, you know, like things like that, where it's just so obvious, even to strangers. Um, but she's, she's, you know, she'll be 76 in a couple days and she looks younger than she ever has. She fasts. She, she just did like a 20-day water fast. She is a intercessor like no other. She, yeah, it's, it's been incredible. I love having a mother, somebody by my side that, um, that is on fire like that. Yeah. And I find that to be really beautiful. And to all of you who are watching, if you want to drink from the fountain of youth, drink from Jesus's water of life. Okay. Cause that's what it sounds like her mother, um, has done. So let's talk about what you mentioned to me earlier, how starting from the age of 10, all the way to 12 years old, you begin to have supernatural encounters, but not encounters that you're pretty fond of. What happened? Yeah, probably around the age of 10, maybe nine, around 10, somewhere around there. I would, um, in the middle of the night, I would wake up and see demons. I would see, like the way my bed was, I had a bunk bed and I, my twin sister, I believe was on the top and my I'd be faced towards the wall and I would open my eyes and I would I would literally see hell. Like I saw demons, I saw fire and it would freak me out. And I remember during that time, I had such a deep love for Jesus. I remember going to sleep, telling Jesus how much I loved him. I mean, I would just be like, Jesus, I love you so much. And I remember saying things like, I miss you, Jesus. 
like now I think back and it was like, you know, I really missed being in heaven from, you know, 10 years prior, but it was, um, but then I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see the demons and I would see literally hell, like in the background of where those demons were. And they're just like trying to get at me, but they couldn't. It was almost like a portal that I was looking at. Now, when you saw these demons in hell, did you see people or did you just at this time just see demons in hell? All I saw were demons. I don't remember seeing any people. Mm, If I did, I might have DID or something. (laughs) And how often did this happen? Pretty often. uh, I asked my mom if I ever told her and she says she doesn't remember. But as we've been processing things over the last couple of years, there's a lot of things she doesn't remember, things that I don't remember. And it's just part of, you know, trauma as a child. So, so do you ever wonder what could have ushered that in for you to continually see demons in hell while you were an adolescent? Well, um, I haven't, I, I, I haven't released my full story yet. But um, there has been some things that um, that happened to me as a child growing up in a Christian, quote unquote, Christian school. And I believe that is what led to the demonic portals and the things that I was seeing and, you know, other forms of abuse throughout or trauma throughout my childhood, even up to the age of 10, that um, those were the, the strong memories that always stood out. Um, I didn't have to tap into that through prayer. It was like something I always remembered. But when you say that when you went to a Christian school, that kind of helped usher in this kind of activity, what do you mean? Hmm. Um, well, <laughs> you're, you're going to, you're going deep. <laughs> Excuse me for those that are used to hearing me. I, I'm recovering from a, a cold, so my voice is a little cracky. It like cracks like, I don't know, 12-year-old boy or something. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I believe this Christian school wasn't so Christian, and they weren't following the true Jesus. So um, the, the things that have been revealed to me is some of the, some of the things that they were doing, we'll just call it underground, um, that weren't <laughs> that weren't quite uh, right. So we we can either open up portals and pathways to heaven, which the the church should have been doing all these thousands of years, and we haven't. Or we can be opening portals and pathways to hell. And unfortunately, the church being the being the authority in the earth. Well, if the church decides to open up the pathways to uh, and portals to hell, then God has to allow them. So at this time, were you born again or were you not born again? Because I know you were nine or 10 years old up to 11. Did you give your life to Jesus yet or not? I had given my life to Jesus. I just, I wouldn't consider myself born again. I I remember being led, I believe by my mom in a prayer um, to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But um, I, and I, like I said, I loved him. I loved him with all my heart. It was like, I, it was like me and Jesus, it was super powerful. Uh, but it wasn't until later that, that I truly became born again. And that's when, you know, you fully surrender your, your life to the Lord. Now let's fast forward. So you are now older, I'm guessing in your twenties and you're starting 
to date huge athletes. What do you mean by huge athletes? And how did you start dating huge athletes? How did you get to that point in your life? Well, um, after I got divorced, I got divorced, I believe around 2007. And my son at the time was four years old. And I knew I needed to get back into the workforce, obviously. Here I was a single mom. And um, I used to work in, in business management or in the entertainment industry when I first got into my career. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just go back into business management after my after the divorce. And I ended up working for a fairly, well, I would say big firm. He had big, big names, but it was a small firm um, client or CPA out here in Orange County, California. And well, one of the first, one of the first athletes I dated, he actually saw me at a game and then he found out who I was and contacted me. That was, that was one of the athletes. So he didn't even know that I like even worked in the major league, major league baseball. Um, oh, I guess I didn't say what it was, but it was major league. It was major league baseball. And he, so he contacted me and, um, and, and then it went from there in, I was dating him for gosh, like for about a year on and off, maybe two years on and off. And then after you, after you dated him, did you date more athletes who were big time athletes too? Uh, yes, I, I actually started. So I ended up, uh, leaving the, the company I was working for and I started my own company and I was at, for the first year I started my company, I was at the major league baseball winter meetings and it was being held down in Orlando at the time. And I was down there and I met another athlete. Um, he was a retired athlete, but he did work for the major league baseball, the commissioner's office. And then he sought me out from there. And I was like, Nope, it's, it's interesting. Cause I always had in like inside, I was like, I'm not going to be a cleat chaser. So that's something, that's a term I used to always hear in my office and in business management for that, these major league baseball players is, oh, she's a cleat chaser. And I'm like, I'm if I date more than one athlete, then I'll be considered a cleat chaser. So I actually told him, I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to date you. I'm not going to go out. And he's like, well, how about we just have coffee? Let's not call it a date. You know, he, he's smooth like that right <laughs> so and I told him I said well it's because I already dated one athlete I'm not going to date another one and be a cleat chaser and I was so young and <laughs> naive then but that was fun um that actually turned into a very um very close relationship and unfortunately he was um he was murdered in a uh like a murder suicide um, by the mother of his, of his baby. Wow. I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. So, okay. So you dated these athletes and you met someone in a nightclub. Tell us about this person you met at a nightclub. So it was the first year that I actually started my business. And, uh, this is about the same time of the year that I was dating the, the first athlete, the first major league baseball player. And I met this man in a nightclub and um, he definitely had like, there was something about him that drew me to him. 
we were, we, we, at the end of the night, all, all we did the entire night, I was sitting in one VIP section, he was sitting in another, and then we talked all night, no dancing, none of that, maybe one drink, I'm not sure, but we just talked all night, and I thought, there's something different about this guy, he's not like all the other guys in this club, right, that, that was basically what I felt, like, oh, there's, you know, there's something good about this guy, and um, we exchanged numbers, and then we started dating. And uh, it was really interesting because at the same time that I was dating this other athlete and I started dating him, there was something that would draw me to him, even though I would have plans with the athlete after his game. Then for whatever reason, the, should we just call him warlock? <laughs> so he, it, you know, down the line, I found out he was a warlock and, um, but during our dating, there would be something that would like, I would actually cancel my plans with the athlete in order to go and see the warlock. So there was definitely witchcraft involved in this um, because the the athlete, I'll just, I don't want to draw like big names, uh, but the athlete, um, it's funny, he's still single. The athlete was... Um, treated me really well, like treated me really well, respected me, um, definitely wasn't playing around with me like, like most players or other athletes. He was, and I know because I, I knew the industry, so I would know when the guys talk, um, like especially in the office, like I had like the back, basically the back door, like I knew what was going on. So I knew he wasn't with other people, even though we hadn't like ex been exclusive and yet I felt so led and drawn to this warlock that just wouldn't explain it and I remember telling friends I don't know what it is about him maybe he's my soulmate I know it doesn't make sense that I would completely turn down this you know this athlete who you know is worth all this money not, not that money is anything but you know turn down this like what seems to be like a really great guy that treats me well and and has a very good living for this other guy yeah it just it, I remember telling friends like it doesn't make sense maybe he's he's the one so what were the signs that you begin to realize or just notice that this guy was a warlock and I know you didn't realize until after that he was a warlock but what were the signs that just didn't make sense I know you mentioned that you favored him more than the athlete who who treated you so well um, but what were the little signs that made you question him the fact that I was drawn to him with no explanation I would say like that's a big red flag when you feel really drawn to somebody and there's no explanation for it there's something off about that because even if it was holy spirit holy spirit would be telling you you know it, it just like with uh you know counterfeit prophets and things like that the fruits right there's going to be fruits to why you're being drawn to them there's going to be something there um some of the other things too is that he would disappear like he would not respond to messages so he would completely just be gone it began by you know maybe a couple days like he wouldn't respond and then he would say he was working. He was in an area that he couldn't respond, um, even though he had two phones. He always had some crazy excuse, family emergency. 
there were some excuses for why he couldn't respond. And yet I was like, okay, you know, just, and my friends were like, what are you doing? Okay. So and when it, you say disappear, you don't mean like he's standing in front of you and poof, he's gone. You're trying to say that he was, he went away somewhere and you just would hear nothing from him. Yes. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> He, yeah, he wouldn't respond to messages. Uh, he never like disappeared physically in front of, in front of me. <laughs> Maybe I would have been like, huh, there's something not right here. And I remember you mentioning to me earlier also that you believe he put a love spell on you. And would you say love spells are real? Absolutely. Absolutely. Love spells are so real and they're not good. So I, I would say for sure, um, probably even sex magic was involved. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't doubt it for one bit. Uh, definitely. I remember one time, well, I mean, how, how old are your viewers? <laughs> All ages. Good grief. What do you, how are you going to say? I, oh, I, I just remembered one time I was thinking something is different. Something is, is not right with this. Yeah. It just didn't make sense. So would you yeah. say love spells are more love spells or lust spells? Um, both. I think there's actually both. Um, I think there can be combined and then there can be two different ones because I have seen, I've ministered with people who have had a last spell. So somebody, a usually typically like maybe an ex-girlfriend or an ex, ex-boyfriend will put a last spell on their ex or they'll do it to another person to break them up with the current person. It's, yeah, it's all, it's crazy. Okay. And then, so you were with him for a few years, I know you mentioned, and then a trip to Indonesia changed everything and this was not too too much of a happy trip in one sense so tell us about how did you get to go on a missions trip and what actually happened on this missions trip that helped change your situation for the good and not so good yes um well before going to on the missions trip i got i started to get plugged into a local church and during that time I really felt like, oh, I'd like, I'd love to do a missions trip to Africa. And on that same day that they were talking about missions in the church, they said they were going to Indonesia. And I thought, well, you know, I really want to go to Africa, but maybe if God wants me to go to Indonesia, then maybe I should go. So I, I told the Lord, I said, if you really want me to go to Indonesia, then since I work for myself and I don't get vacation time, then provide the means so that I can raise the funds to do this, to go. And then, you know, I know on the, I'll trust that you'll provide the lost income. And within a few weeks, I raised, I think three times or close to about three times the amount of money I was supposed to go for the trip. So I was able to pay for a couple other people to go on the trip. And part of it was as soon as we got into Indonesia, this is is Labor Day weekend. Um, we go down to Indonesia. It took two days to get there. So the flight going there took one, our final flight landed on a small island. And then we took a maybe three hour uh, boat to the island, to the remote island that we were going to. So it's super remote. 
first day we get there, we unload all of our stuff in like basically a two room shack or hut. And that's where we were going to be sleeping for the, for the week. And they're like, Hey, let's go down to the ocean. Let's go check out the water. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And when we got there, they said, Hey, there's a really cool place to jump from like a cliff. If you guys want to do it. And I, you know, growing up for me, I grew up in Oregon and we did, you know, jumping off of bridges and all that was normal. So I'm like, let's do it. Let's go jump off this cliff. And we, we, we hiked up to this point. We get to a point where there's like a rope in the wall and you have to climb up using the rope to get the top of the cliff. <laughs> and everybody was jumping off. And I had a very weird feeling. I was like, Lord, this doesn't seem right. So I kind of like look around on the edges of the cliff thinking, is there a better place to jump? And I was with another woman at the time and her and I both looked and we're like, oh, no, this looks like the safest because they're jumping and there's apparently nothing, obviously, when they're landing in the water. So let's just jump here. So she jumps and I'm still thinking, I don't know. But I do it anyways, because it looks more dangerous to climb back down that rock wall that we climbed up with a rope. Because it's like, how do you climb back down something you climbed up with a rope? So I jumped in as soon as I jumped in, I broke my back. And um, <laughs> I guess I'll clarify that. So as soon as I jumped in, I felt a vice come around my, uh, my torso around my chest and it was like boom this vice just wrapped around super tight and all the oxygen got sucked out and I remember thinking I got to get to the top I've got to be pretty far down and I don't have any air in my lungs so I tried to swim to the top and I couldn't so I was able to doggy paddle basically pull my hands to my to my shoulders and then pull like that and kick and as soon as I got to the top three times, I tried to take a deep breath and I couldn't. It hurt too much. The pain, it was excruciating. So I couldn't get any oxygen in my lungs. And then the woman who had jumped right before me saw, she realized that I had, that something has had happened and everybody was screaming and shouting. Apparently I did like this perfect 10.0 jump. So they were hollering and I remember thinking, going up and down, I remember thinking, why isn't anybody helping me? And she came up and grabbed me and pulled me up out of the water. And then that's when they all like swam over and realized, oh no, something's wrong with her. Uh, but like, I, I go back to think about other people that maybe jumped in or even surfers where they say they just never came up out of the water. And that's what happened is, you know, something happened to their spine where they just had no capacity to come to the top of the water. And thank God that was not my time to go. And Jesus was like, nope, 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 nope. And the angels were there uh, protecting me. So yeah, that was, that was a, a like a complete, well, I mean, I think for anybody that has a near death life experience, like it changes you to the point that you start to look at things and it wasn't just that point that changed me. It was more so my recovery, you know, like <clears throat> it took, I have a whole book about it. I wrote um, that I have the whole story on, but so I won't go into detail on that. You can, 
you can read the book if you want to know more. But uh, but the whole thing is after realizing and in my recovery, um, I was all the doctors there in Indonesia when I got like I was airlifted to um, to the hospital in Bali and I was in Bali and they were like, you're paralyzed. Nobody could un nobody could like use any medical terms for why I was still walking. So I was still walking. I was still breathing <clears throat> all of my hands, everything, my feet, everything was fine. <clears throat> I was in pain. So, um, so that, that was one thing, but as soon as I came back to the U S and I had my surgery, that was kind of more of my wake up call of all of the people that I've put, um, basically out of their, their time and their life right now, because they have to come help me and they have to come help my son. So it, it changes the perspective when you have to actually humble yourself and be forced in humbling yourself to have others help you. And that really changed my life. Um, that was the beginning of my born again, really of, of giving my life to the Lord fully I just didn't understand demonic oppression yet either. Wow. Well, let's go a little bit back to when you said you had broken your back, but yet you grew up in Oregon, Oregon, some like to say, jumping off of bridges and off of cliffs and it was normal. And everyone said you jumped a perfect 10. Did you hit something in the water? Did you jump wrong? What went wrong? Do you know? No, I didn't feel anything on my feet. The only thing I felt was um, the only thing I remember feeling at all. I remember the air like going down. And then the only thing I remember is that vice around my body. That's, I don't remember feeling anything on my feet. So, you know, like you jump in a pool and you hit. So I know I didn't hit bottom. So I laugh. I'm like, well, maybe like a dolphin was swimming along or a big fish and it hit me right inside. It was, um, it was considered a, or it's called a compression burst fracture of the thoracic 10, meaning everything blew. So the, the thoracic 10 vertebrae wraps around and connects to the rib cage. So all that blew, and I believe from what they're saying, and one of my lungs were, was collapsed as well from that. So because of the, the bone supporting the lungs, that the impact just basically shocked my lungs and that's why I wasn't able to uh, take any breaths or breathe like immediately after the compression fracture but as soon as they got me to the beach and I told them to leave me alone I was praying to God for just oxygen in my lungs and I'll just tell that I'll say this right now and I'm sure I'm not the only one but I was not thinking and I've said, I've had this conversation with my son. I was not thinking, oh, my son, my mom, my sister, you know, like, no, I was thinking, oh God, please save me. <laughs> that were my thoughts. Okay. I was literally thinking, please save me. Give me the air. <laughs> okay. So you said it was a miracle from God that you were able to walk on a broken back. Did you realize at the time or were the missionaries with you? Did they realize that or did they even mention that, wow, this is a miracle. You broke your back and your back is broken, but yet you're still walking? Um, unfortunately, the missionaries that I was with and the organization I was with, the church, um, had absolutely 
no um, training, no medical training, um, maybe be on CPR. Maybe they knew CPR. Um, so they they didn't know anything. They had posted a message um, to their to our private Facebook group for those were for the family and friends that were praying for us, saying pray for Anne. She's got soft tissue damage around her ribs. Um, that's the extent that they thought. Um, so they didn't they didn't know. Um, I. <laughs> This is before being born again. Um, we'll call it BC. Is I I actually brought painkillers with me to the trip because when I would travel internationally, I was I was always ready for the backup plan. Like if I took something and it didn't do anything, um, I even had sleeping. That's what it was. I had sleeping pills with me. I had sleeping pills with me and I couldn't sleep. I didn't. It was two days I was there in this remote island. And I had friends that lived in um, in Sydney. No, they lived in Bali at the time. And they're like, it sounds like you broke your back. They were the first ones that said, I think you broke your back. And they immediately started organizing a helicopter to come get me. And if it wasn't for them and the church would have done it, they would have had me go back on the boat and then the small little plane and you know, I don't even want to talk about what would happen if that would happen. But um, the Lord definitely protected me. He used actually non-believers to um, to get that helicopter uh, to come get me on the island. So unfortunately, they're, they're still non-believers or one of them are. So, yeah. Mm. And how did this change your life? Because you said that was the moment that you started to edge closer and closer to God. I remember it was probably about the third day home. I was in a hospital, I was in a hospital for close to a month and they wanted me actually to go into like a rehab facility instead of going straight home. And I was like, no, we can do it. We'll have all the people come to me at home. I, I haven't been home and, you know, like I was a week in Indonesia and then I was, you know, I had been home in over a month and I just wanted to get home. And my son had, you know, been visiting me in the hospital, but so they allowed me to go home and it was the third day home and I was suffering severe pain in my, in my hand and in my arm and up to my shoulder. And the doctor said, I need you to go into the ER. I think you're having, uh, I think you have some deep blood clots that could be dangerous so you need to get back in here. So I get in there and I'm like crying and I'm like, no, just don't keep me. Cause they're like, well, we want to check you in. This is pretty serious. You know, they did all the ultrasounds and everything. They said, you have three, um, three DT, whatever the D DTPs or something. And, um, and they said, well, we'll give you, I was begging them and crying. They said, we'll give you some blood thinners, but we can't, we can only allow this because you've been out of surgery for I think at that time I'd been out of surgery for about four weeks maybe and they said we can only have you on these for 12 hours and then after that if the pain doesn't go away you have to come back in here and so I was just praying out to God and we got home and I was crying out to God I remember is it was dark in the house everybody had gone to sleep and I was looking up at the ceiling and there was like a reflection of, of the window that was to my right. I was in a hospital bed. So I was in a hospital bed in my living room. I couldn't be in my bedroom because it was up like another flight of stairs. 
and I wasn't allowed to go on the stairs. And I looked up at the reflection and I was like, God, this is too much. I know you won't give us more than we can handle, but I think you have me messed up with my twin sister because I have a twin. So I was like, I think you gave me some of what she needs. <laughs> and and I was like, Lord, please, just please stop this. Like, I can't, I can't handle any more of this. And he clearly spoke to me and he said, Anne, if you listen and you do what I say, you start telling your story, you write about this and always give me credit. You will be 100% free from pain for the rest of your life. And I was like, done. <laughs> okay, Lord. And just tears, you know, the ugly cry. I mean, it had to have been super ugly because I hadn't taken a shower in like, you know, weeks. So it was just, it was that moment that I drew closer to him. And in that moment, I, um, the next morning I told, I actually want to believe that the warlock reached out to me that day, that next day. Like I had cut him off. I had cut him off right before the trip. And that was the thing is when you have a, a hex or a love spell on you and you don't break the witchcraft, you don't break that, it will continue. You can cut your soul tie all day long, but if you don't break that hex and you don't like break that spell, that's still going to keep drawing them to you and you to them. Yeah, the, the following day, I was like, okay, mom, get me my computer. I'm going to start writing my story. And that's how I started writing the book, Bali Girl. But even, even at that point, I was in my mind, I was like, this guy, he's done. I'm no longer going to see him. I'm not going to talk to him. Nothing. Well, you know, I had broken that spell. So I ended up letting him back in my life. When was it that you began to see visions of your boyfriend at the time who was a warlock but you didn't realize it at the time you begin to see visions about him doing stuff what was it oh gosh um this is after i was healed i was i was fairly healed um maybe a couple years after breaking my back and um i would be in prayer i i started I'd be in prayer because I, I would think like, I think he's my husband and I think he's my God destined spouse because I'm so drawn to him, but I'm not understanding what's going on in this relationship because he's not fully committing. And I was in prayer. I was praying in tongues actually. And all of a sudden I was having these visions and I was seeing him in like eyes wide shut. Like, you know, like that movie eyes wide shut. I would see him doing those type of things I would see and I remember thinking like okay this has got to be my sick mind right now you know this has got to be like something from the enemy that I'm like having these visions but um no like he was he was highly involved in some high occult black magic just like we get mandates from God these I call them human agents of darkness these these agents of darkness they get mandates from Satan and they get, they get rewards for what it is that they do. And he had a mandate um, to stop me from going into my calling. So that was, that was his mandate. Was there anything that prompted 
you to have that vision you believe or it just came out of nowhere it came out of nowhere like I mean I I had felt like he had been cheating on me like I I thought that maybe he had a whole nother family I thought he had a satanic family (laughs) he I I thought he had had yeah I thought he had had like all these other women on the side um so nothing like that and in fact I mean it had been years since I'd even seen that movie and I don't even think I even connected the two at the time of getting getting the um the vision um and then it would come more often when I was in prayer uh like I'd be in prayer and I'd be praying for him and all of a sudden I would see him uh in his house doing some sort of a ritual and it was just I didn't know I didn't know it was a ritual though that's the weirdest thing is I didn't know anything about rituals or any of that so I had no clue to that that's what he was doing so did you ever approach him about any of that (laughs) no because I cut it off with him um I cut it off with him in 2018 when I got my first deliverance and that's when I found out who he was um, I had actually pr- cut it off with him prior. So um, I I never did. And if he actually, if I ever saw him now, I would. <laughs> oh, I would. I would. I would smack him upside, upside the head. Not physically, but I would, I would let some angels do some work on him um in yeah in the spiritual realm like he would get some lightning rods of god on him but i mean he already he already has um since you know because there's there had been times even after that after my deliverance and i started learning about spiritual warfare that i would sense that he was trying to astral project or he was trying to do something so so you know the way I go about astral projection or, or witchcraft, that, that person, unless they have a really strong mandate from Satan, they're not going to come at me a second time. <laughs> they're, they're like, nah, I, I got enough of her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned to me also that when you did break it off, speaking of astral projection, you were walking along the beach in California and then what happens? Yeah. It out of nowhere I'm walking along the pier and he's there on the pier. This is after I had done my deliverance and known who he was, but I didn't know, you know, spiritual warfare or anything. I just knew stay away from him. Don't connect. Don't, you know, have any soul ties. Don't even talk. You know, I, I was in fear at that time because I didn't, I didn't fully understand everything. And I saw him on the pier and he actually approached me and he was with a friend and they both approached me and I was like, I looked at them and I just turned the other way. Cause I was like, Oh, nope, this is not going to happen. But I, I kind of looked at them and I, I hope I had the look of like, I don't know who you are. And then I turned around and walked away as if I had no clue. And I think I heard him say my name, but like, like I said, I was in a lot of fear. So uh, my heart rate was racing, I'm sure. And, but yeah, just out of nowhere, he was there. He just popped up out of nowhere. And I know you mentioned that he lived far away. So it was really odd for him to be there. Yeah. 
he lived um he lived most of the time he had spent up in northern california so and even at that point he when he was down in southern california he was still a good 35 40 minutes from from where i was at so uh and I had just gotten to the pier. It, it was not a coincidence. And then you mentioned also that what really solidified the knowledge of him being a warlock is you went to a conference and you saw John Ramirez. What did John Ramirez say to you? He said, uh, he said, have you dated a warlock? He said something to that, like you've dated a warlock and warlocks. I think the first question was, has any has anybody ever approached you to be in the cult? And I was like, no. And then he said, well, you've dated a warlock. And I was like, no, 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 I haven't. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe my ex-boyfriend was a warlock. And I just kind of shrugged it off. And then I started thinking about it. And I started watching more uh, videos about it, watching more videos from John Ramirez and and learning more about that. And I thought, Oh my gosh. And I pieced it all together, the memories, the visions, the, and then it seemed like the more I walked into my calling, the more it all came together, why he was in my life. And why was he in your life? He was there to stop me from my calling. Wow. So the enemy, so you felt like the enemy, the Satan knew what God had for you and he tried to put a stop to it. Absolutely. Yeah. There was something you mentioned to me that basically resonated how you said that you were kind of bummed um, and you were kind of borderline upset that churches never taught. You never heard a church speak about witchcraft ever. So this was all you were caught off guard. Tell us about this. Yeah, um, it really frustrates me. And I know it has quite a few other people when they have start to learn about spiritual warfare and witchcraft. But um, probably one of the things, the biggest thing that really kind of infuriates me, Lord, forgive me, um, is, is that, that that the churches don't understand that there is witchcraft operating. And it's not just, you know, pastors will say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, there's a Jezebel, you know, that comes to church. One of my people are Jezebel or, you know, there's a Jezebel in the worship team. No, it's, it's, it's deeper than that <laughs> it is it's deeper than that and it's they get infiltrated just like the enemy knows my calling and he knows everybody else's calling out there just like he knows that he will send the right people in before we get to that calling he sends it in before so like with churches and a church that has a pastor or worship leader that can take that church to another level, they will infiltrate. They send the witches and the warlocks. The covens are so tightly organized. They know ahead of time, Satan gives them the mandate. You need to start befriending this particular person. I want you to be friends with them. Satan might not give them all of, he typically won't give them all of the plans. In fact, I've seen like in court of heaven cases where Satan gives plans to different coven members, they all know a little piece. So just in case one person screws up, he can easily insert another and the whole thing doesn't go down. So what I have seen is he'll send in 
a, well, typically a spouse. He'll send in a counterfeit spouse because imagine if we're married to the wrong person, that's at the top of the head of the body of Christ, right? So if we're married to the wrong person, then we are living in rebellion to God. God has a God-destined spouse for us. So that's rebellion, straight up witchcraft that's operating through us to begin with. So that's typically that it might be a pastor or a pastor's wife um, that that they will send in. They'll send, it could be to a church, it could be to a ministry that they'll send this undercover agent in and that person might not fully know the plans that Satan has for them to destroy their spouse, but they're basically living on an agenda. It could be, um, it could be like control or manipulation or things like that. But I have seen in churches too, where I have seen a lot of the time security guards. Oh my gosh. Security guards, like the lead security. This is, I'll, I'll tell you a story on this one where I was, I was at a conference, um, with a pretty well-known, uh, prophet visiting and, um, it was in Oregon and I was at this conference and I had already been feeling that this particular man who was in security for the church was a warlock. And at this time, the Lord had been training me and teaching me how to see a warlock or a witch, uh, you know, whatever it was that they were actively involved in, how I could see in the spiritual realm. And so I was still like discerning it out. And I was like, I think he is, I don't know. And the Lord gave me a dream the night before going to the church that it was literally so real. It was a vision where I walked into the church and I looked at him knowing that he was a warlock. And he looked at me knowing that I knew, because that's usually how it happens is I'll look at people and they know I know. So like they might see a banner over my head or something like that, that that they that that's my calling is to just smack witchcraft and expose it. So um, he looked at me, I looked at him. And then in that dream, I walked like around the church building, came back around, he came up to me and he said something to the, like, don't tell anybody. Or it was like some sort of a threat, like don't tell anybody like of a threat. And then I woke up and then I was like, oh my gosh, he is a warlock. Wow. He was head security and he would stand out in front of the church, shake people's hands, create a soul tie with people as they're coming in. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, they'll get, um, witches or warlocks will end up becoming on the worship team or they end up becoming one of the pastors. I mean, you see that a lot of the time they're one of the associate pastors or they're, uh, and the thing is people don't understand is once you come into agreement with that. So once the pastor has somebody on their team that is a warlock or a witch, God will show them. There is no doubt that God didn't show that pastor or didn't bring somebody in to tell them, hey, this particular person isn't good. God warned that pastor many times before God says, I release my hedge over you and your church. And then what happens is that one bad apple gets access like I can use him as an example. He gets the key 
to every person, every member of that church, of that con of that community, he gets the front door of everybody's homes and he's also projecting him in there. He's selling their finances. He's causing divorces. He's causing abortions. He's causing um, miscarriages. He's doing massive damage in that church or she is doing that. And the entire time, the minister, the pastor, or say like a lead minister of a, of a ministry, um, they're hexed because they allowed it. A hex comes over them and they can't see it. People will come in and tell them and they will just deny it. Nope, nope, nope. It didn't happen. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've experienced this firsthand. I've seen the destruction, literal destruction it caused where it was even spirits walking around the church when no one else was there and water turning on and, but no one's there and all this stuff. And this is because a pastor trusted this man who was not for, from God. And a lot of the people warned the pastor, just like you said, he wouldn't listen. And I mean, the whole church just like the, is still standing now, but people almost died. I mean, people in charge almost literally died and one did die. It's sad that how you mentioned that this um, security guard, how whenever he would shake people's hand or speak to them, they didn't have that discernment. And this is something that we're supposed to have as children of God. We're supposed to have that, but these people didn't have it. So when you say that they would come in, um, this person, like a Jezebel, would, you know, get to the person at the top. Would you say that um, they're only able to affect those who aren't covered by the hedge of protection from the Lord? In the congregation? No, I believe they can affect everybody in the congregation. The only time it wouldn't affect it is if somebody, um, say like myself, went in uh, before I go to before I go to any church, um, even the own the church that I attend most frequently. I get a decree, and I go, and it could be as simple as you you just ask God, God, do you want me to go to this particular church today? you know, and, um, and that's, that's how you start with it. But if you're going to become a member, um, so for me, I will go to a conference or a church and because of the ability, um, to see the witchcraft and see the witches, I ask God for the decree to go before even going. And most of the time I don't want to go <laughs> most of the time. I'm like, Lord, it's just going to be a lot of work, but when he, when he gives me the decree and he says, yes, you can go, he's protecting me. He puts it on a supernatural hedge of protection and that super armor on me to protect me. Sometimes I go in and they can't see me um, because the Lord has me on a particular mandate or a, a mission during that time to dismantle that, the witchcraft in the church. Um, I would love to someday go in undercover, you know, for a pastor, like a pastor say, hey, Will you come in and then do it that way if that's what the Lord allowed? Typically, the pastors and the ministers in the church, they have no clue, um, you know, what what my mandate is when I go in. Heaven knows, and that's, you know, like I get accolades in heaven, and I'm doing it for Jesus, so that's all that matters. But I think for those that um, that become a member of churches like this, yeah, they don't know. They, they will, um, the hex will come on them. And because they're hexed with that, they get hexed in their daily life. And, um, you know, they start making poor decisions because their discernment's off. But a lot of it's because people aren't teaching this in the church.
this is for the pastors out there because you mentioned something. I want to rewind just a little bit. This is really, really important. And how you mentioned that these people, these witches, these warlocks, those who are involved in the occult and or satanic rituals, both basically the same thing, how they come in at the inception, the birth of the church. So how you said that they come in when the church first starts because churches are willing to take anybody because they're the most vulnerable. And a lot of pastors have fallen into this, not even knowing, not even realizing that this is how it even started. And now they want help out of it. What would you say to that pastor? How would you help them out right now? And, and tell them how it happens in that way, how it starts at the very beginning. It does start with that where, you know, so many churches and so many pastors, they just want the help. They, they need the help. You need the help. Um, so honestly, like, I think the biggest thing is 100% be led by the Lord and the, the Lord will grow your church and your ministry at the rate that he will, he will also provide the right people around you. But I think the key thing is those that are in your ministry that are helping I mean, first of all, your church should be teaching spiritual warfare. Your your people that are are hands-on greeters, even people that are cleaning the sanctuary, even people that are touching things in there, they're that they're not placing hexes on it. So I think that's key is to to like your team, the people that are the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth for the church, that they be educated in spiritual warfare that they know the signs. Like, I think, I think actually security guards, like I, I always laugh about it. Cause I'm like, if I ever had a church, my security guards would be like little old ladies. They'd be the intercessors that were like strong inner, you know, that they had discernment, you know, they'd be like, no, you know, so like our security needs to be security against the witchcraft and against the undercover agents of darkness, because that's, that's where it's going to happen. If you're in the spirit, during this time, you're going to know when someone walks through that door, you're going to know that they have a demon on them. So maybe you go like, hey, let's pray, you know, like, you know, very nonchalantly to help them. That's what a church should be. It should be a hospital, not a rehab center. Yeah, I think the key is those people that are in your church, um, you know, maybe you have to sit down and have a talk with everybody. If you've been going on for a while and say, okay, everybody, we're all going to get deliverance. That will weed out some witches and warlocks. And I mean, like a, not just a deliverance. I mean, a renunciation, like a heavy renunciation. You can reach out to me. I'll give you a copy of our renunciation. We do a renunciation every time we do group Zooms. I mean, you're stripping that person butt naked in the spiritual realm if they are an undercover agent. So if you do that at a church, you're going to then tell those people, no, you're not welcome here. Probably one of the biggest, um, the really coolest things, the church, one of the churches that I really love to go to, I never have to worry about witchcraft there. It's called Fire and Glory. And it's Jeremy Miranda Nelson down in the San Diego area. And their church I mean, that's part of their church is they, they have an anointing to break witchcraft. So those witches and warlocks won't go there because they know it's going to get broken off of them. But the other thing is the love, the love of God that like when you walk into that building, you fill an open portal of the love of God. So I think 
like, you know, as a minister, as a church leader, when you, when your church staff is like, they are just sweating the love of God, then you're on the right track and not in a fake way. Cause you have the new age that can totally, they love bomb. There's a difference between the love of God and love bombing and new age. <laughs> So there's that huge difference is what I would say. <laughs> amen. Amen. I so agree. I so agree. So let's talk about you going to the Garden of Eden. I'm sure this is what everyone has been waiting for. 2018, you truly give your life to Jesus and you begin having heaven encounters. And then you were taken to the Garden of Eden. So tell us, how did that even happen? Um, yeah, I was having I was having crazy encounters with Jesus. Um, there was one point where he came straight up really close to me and I saw his face and just the glory. And all of a sudden this sword came out of his mouth and it went like straight into me. And then it went like down through me. And it's like, I could feel it in my body because I could feel like where I was, I was sitting on the couch and my body was just vibrating. And then all of a sudden I was taken into the Garden of Eden. It was like, I just knew it was the Garden of Eden. I, was, I just knew. And there was a tree and he pulled a piece of fruit off the tree. And, and I remember the colors that it was, it was so beautiful. I just knew, I just knew it was happening. And the, the, even the tree itself looked beautiful. And he pulled it off the tree and he, he pulled it off and he looked at me and he said, Anne, just as my sons and daughters have fallen away from me because of this fruit, you will help bring them back. I want to say, but I, I want to be super humble. I want to say he said, you will bring them back here. Like, I, I, I don't even think it was a help, but, but I know like I can't do it all on my own. So like he said something like, you're going to bring them back here to the Garden of Eden. And, and all of a sudden, then we were on a beach. All of a sudden, just flashed. And we were on a beach, and there was ocean in front of us. And we were in heaven. And the thing about heaven is it's like there's always light. It's just always light, and it's always bright without, like, like seeing a sun. You just, it's like there's this brightness in this light. So it's like, I look over and over that ocean, like I can see colors of clouds as if it was a sunset, but it wasn't because it was still bright. And I remember I, I said, how am I gonna do that? How am I gonna do that? I don't know one scripture verse. Like I didn't know any, I don't think I had one scripture verse memorized at all. I, I remember saying that to Jesus, like, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know any scripture because in my religious mindset, I was thinking I had to know the Bible back to front so I could maybe preach people back in the Eden. I don't know. I, I couldn't even comprehend it at the time, but I remember telling Jesus that. And all of a sudden, what was like um, air duct, that's all I can really say. It was like an air duct system like square that came dropping out of above me. It just came back, boom, 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 like these, these sounds, like it just unfolded and unfolded and unfolded like over, 
over me. And all of a sudden it felt like this portal of like download of revelation was flowing into me. And I felt like my body was vibrating. I felt like my cells were vibrating and I was like on fire. Like what is going on right now? I guess God, you're giving me everything that I need. And I think he said something like that. Well, this is, you're receiving everything that you need right now. And then that was it. And I was like, oh, no, no. He said something like Proverbs 31. It might have been afterwards. And I went back into prayer for asking for more. He said, look at Proverbs 31. He told me to look at the scripture of Proverbs 31. And then shortly after he had said, I want you to start a ministry called Proverbs 31 generation. But I looked at Proverbs 31 after I came out of it, after I was able to like walk, I remember going and grabbing my Bible and like tears were just flowing down my face. And I remember thinking, wow, that was incredible. That was awesome. But I feel like I have like the whole world on my shoulders right now. <laughs> like, how am I going to bring people back to the garden? And in my mind at the time, all I can comprehend was like, I'm going to help people ascend into the heavens. Like they're going to have that secret time with Jesus. And I started going like on fire to doing that. I would pray with people and they would encounter Jesus. They would ask, oh, will you pray with my friend? They want to encounter Jesus. And I thought, okay, this is it. And I thought, this is going to take a long time for all the billions of people all over the world. How am I going to do this? But it was wild. I started reading Proverbs 31 with the spirit of truth and revelation. And when we do that, you look at Proverbs 31 and you look up the Greek and Hebrew and Proverbs 31 isn't about that perfect bride of the woman in the household. No, it is about the bride of Christ. It is about who we are being married to Jesus, who we are to be prepared to be married to Jesus. It is men and women both alike. Uh, so it's not just women. Uh, so that revelation was huge to me. That was really big to me. It was probably one of the first revelations reading scripture of going, wow, scripture really isn't just pages on, the, I mean, words on, on the page. It's like, there's something deeper in these. So I want to rewind a little bit. When you went to the Garden of Eden, where was the Garden of Eden located? And are you saying God didn't get rid of the Garden of Eden when he kicked Adam and Eve out? I don't know where it was located at the time, but all I know is, is it's, it's a different dimension. So I absolutely know it was a different dimension. It's a different realm. Um, the Lord has actually taken me to quite a few realms. Um, I've been in all different kinds of realms and dimensions. You could read scripture and you could ask the Lord to take you into that realm because scripture is out of space and time. It's the living word meaning like you can read it and go into that realm. So the Garden of Eden, same thing, focus, read on Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 2, and you can go back into that realm. But yeah, the Lord took me into Genesis, into the Eden, into the Garden of Eden. And I believe, um, honestly, I believe the Garden of Eden is, is still here today. And it is literally a matter of us manifesting it so King Jesus, when he died on the cross, he did it all. He completed it all. He said, Tetelestai, which means it's finished. The work is done. 
meaning to reconcile us back to who we were before the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was, that's what Jesus said. There, there wasn't more to be done. So I believe that now it's a matter of manifesting for the sons of God, for us as true believers to, to start manifesting that and believing the truth and manifesting the truth and manifesting that realm. Like we can create realms of faith and realms of peace, right? You know, like people can go into meditation and prayer and create just a realm of peace around them. And we can do the same thing with Eden. You can ask Jesus to take you um, back into Eden and show you a piece of it. Because I believe the Lord is bringing people back into Eden now. And he's, he's building up Eden in the way that it should be what he did with Adam and Eve is he said, you have the reign, you have the dominion. And I believe he's bringing people back now to build that up. And we're building, we do that in our ministry quite a bit is we'll go in there and you start building what the Lord wants you to build in, in the garden of Eden. And this is where, um, I mean, animals, the animal kingdom is huge, you know, like even right now, animals right now, uh, being able to talk to them and stepping into their realm and talking to them and knowing by faith that you're talking to them and that they hear you and that they understand you. And it's, it's just amazing. What do you mean by the Garden of Eden is here now? Do you mean on earth or do you mean, like you said, in a different dimension? Yeah, you know, that is that is one thing I'm still trying to grasp because like if you think of earth and I'll use maybe this as an example, um, like maybe this is earth, right? <clears throat> but then there's different dimensions. So you have different bubbles. It could be different realms. So I believe that right now is what earth is being manifested. So imagine this being dark. Uh, let's see. <laughs> like imagine this being dark. That's the earth right now. So right now, um, you've got what's being manifested into the earth is what the kingdom of darkness has been doing with witchcraft. So what he's what Satan's been able to do is manifest through that veil, through the realm, manifest into the earth, the the darkness and things that shouldn't be here, the evil that shouldn't be here. And so I believe it's just another realm or dimension that needs to break through here. So it would be almost as if uh, I'm still trying to comprehend it, like with my physical mind, but it's almost as if once, and it says in, in Romans eight, right? All the, we all groan for the glorious days for when the glory will hit that. Um, oh gosh, what is the scripture? It's, it's like Romans eight. It's, it begins in Romans eight, 19, where all the sons of God are, are, we're all groaning and creation's groaning for the glory to, to hit the earth. And I believe that time hasn't come yet. And I believe once the glory hits, which will be through us, I believe he's using us as portals to release that glory. The more light that we can shine, that will pour the glory out into this earth and that will dissipate the darkness because there cannot be any darkness where there's light. So even the people that are walking in darkness, they will be dropping to their knees because they need to repent. They 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 see the ugliness in themselves, um, even the animals and creation and things like that. So I believe it's just a different dimension that needs to break through. So when you said Jesus pulled a fruit off of a tree, one, was it 
the tree of life and two what kind of fruit was it well because when you're with the lord a lot of the times the things that will happen will need to kind of resonate with what you what your mind can maybe resonate with i remember thinking of it being an apple but that's you know like i always you know was taught you know in bible school and all that you know like the apple right apple you see it in pictures and movies or whatever eve ate of the apple so um yeah i've i i saw it as an apple in his hand and then would you say that's the tree of life um no oh oh my gosh that is a really good question wow i always thought of it as being the um tree of good and evil of knowledge of good and evil oh wow yeah i could it could have been the tree of life wow thank you we'll find out when we get to heaven that's so funny right yeah and i know you're not saying that's the fruit that uh eve took off the tree it was just a fruit you know um so what is the purpose you said that jesus said to you that you would bring people back to eden what do you believe the purpose is for people coming back to eden what's the purpose of that um actually honestly i believe it is that reconciliation of mankind of the sons of god back to back to god i believe that's what it is and i mean it's super humbling in that to be like wow but what he's been showing me over the last couple of years and i'm a super i'm a super strong intercessor in the courts of heaven being like that's that's my strength that's what i do um i mean it could be for anything even for this cold right i was in the courts of heaven every hour but um he would he would bring me cases he would wake me up in the middle of the night and say hey i want you to take this case on behalf of this or that and that was a lot of it and one of one of the strongest cases he took was he he told me and this is actually the first time i'm i'm airing it like out there is that he he was showing me that that lucifer being who he is um the fallen angel of light of music right that he was able to do a lot of witchcraft in um in the garden he was able to actually manipulate um eve in taking up a fruit so i know this seems wild for a lot of people um i just break that religious spirit over you open up your mind um ask for the spirit of revelation and truth but that's, that's one of the things that the Lord had shown me is that Lucifer was able to do that um, in the garden and get her to eat of that, of that fruit. So he had, the Lord had me take uh, probably about a year ago, he had me take a case to the court, to his throne. Um, I want to say like, I mean, I, I never call a court like a particular court. There's some court, court of heaven ministries that like, well, I'm going to this court. I'm going to that court. I'm like, I'm just going to the court of God. I'm going to his throne. But I remember, I remember the word came out, the ancient of days. I remember that kind of like being pretty strong in this case. And he asked me to repent. And um, I was repenting on behalf of, um, of what happened in the garden um, with Adam and Eve and all of that. And and he had showed me, he had showed me prior those visions of what had happened. And, you know, like even leaves um, and trees and the wind and the things that, that he was able to manipulate. 
And um, it was pretty incredible pace. Um, and I was like, it was, you know, I was up till maybe two o'clock in the morning. I started the case for like seven or eight in the evening doing this. And then I was taken into this wild vision and I saw Adam and Eve and it was just, it was incredible. Um, so I do wonder if maybe that's part of it is I asked Jesus, I said, but you know, you, you took cases to the throne all the time when you were here. So if man was supposed to do it, why didn't you do it? And he said, well, because I needed my blood. Ooh. Oh, that's deep. I uh, like that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I want to talk about really quickly too. Cause I mean, I really like that. Maybe you want to dive deeper into that, but I just got the Holy ghost chills just now. Um, when you said that the purpose of us going back to Eden was basically to have that intimacy back with God that Adam and Eve once had. And that's yes. for us. Oh, that's good. And that is for us. We are all to have that and not be, and not be constantly poked in the side by the enemy where to have that intimacy. And I know there's a lot of believers out there right now that have that deep intimacy with him right now, but he wants that pure that pure intimacy with him and with the father and with the son, with the Holy spirit and with animals and with creation, really, because right now we've defiled our planet. We've defiled the animals. We've done things to animals that shouldn't be done. You know, the circuses and caging them up and the things like that, that have happened that God never, never meant for creation. So there's, there's something different about the garden of Eden and where he had said, he said to them, I'm giving you all, all authority over this. I'm giving you all authority and dominion. And that still applies to the earth today. We still have that. In, in fact, it's mankind that has the authority. So even a witch or warlock has the authority. But if you get a believer, a son of God next to a witch or warlock, that witch or warlock has no authority. But if we're not deserting our authority, well, then guess who guess who gets to have the dominion and the reign? Yeah, wow. the evil. That is really, really good. So let's talk about you going to Eden again. God took you back to the Garden of Eden again. And this time you saw Eve. Okay, so this is for everybody, especially every woman who you mentioned earlier how you believe that Eve is, she is conscious of the knowledge that women around the world don't like her <laughs> is even heaven one and what happened when you saw eve what did she look like what was your encounter what was your conversation oh my gosh um yeah that first of all it was actually kind of sad okay well i'll, I'll start I'll, I'll explain the encounter from the beginning is um i saw her she came up it was like it's like all I could see was like this light and all of a sudden it's like she stopped up out of this light and um, she was all frequencies and color. Like she didn't have the flesh, like we have the flesh suits, like we have, she was just like frequencies and light, um, all different kinds of blues and purples and just these, like these frequencies moving in in the dimension that we were in. And it was like, I just knew it was her. It's like, it's not like I was prepared for her to come step out. 
but she just steps out and steps forward and she comes closer to me. And I asked Jesus, is it deep? And, and he's like, yes. And even her eyes weren't like our eyes, right? It's just beautiful just for her whole body, her arms, her legs, you know, she, she was like the perfect figure. And it was like, I knew she didn't have hair. There was no hair. It was just, and it wasn't like, I was thinking, oh, she doesn't have hair. You know, it's like, literally, she was just beautiful. And it was what it was is what I was seeing. And what I was feeling was those frequencies of her connected directly to the heart of God. So now she was in God, in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, 100%. So she was emanating those frequencies of the heart of the Father that I could feel that. Even though there was nothing but frequencies of light that I saw, my immediate reaction was, she's beautiful. <laughs> like that was it. And she came up close to me and she put her, um, she put her hands up like this. <laughs> I shouldn't have had any rings on. She put her hands up. And I put my hands up, like it was like just an intuition, like I just was like, put my hands up next to hers. And it was like, it was almost like a mirror, like a mirror. And I look down and I see our toes like, like facing each other. And it was like a mirror, right? And at first it was interesting because I was like, oh, well, maybe it's because I'm, I'm here to redeem her, you know, and what she did because of, of the court case. But um, because basically the court case is what I said is God, she didn't have free will. She didn't have free will. Satan took her free will. Therefore, on the basis that she was lied and manipulated to everything that happened after her taking of fruit should be undone. All of those bloodline curses, all the Freemasonry, all the witchcraft, all the satanic ritual abuse, all the mind control, all this should be undone. So when I was talking to her, she said, she immediately said when she was doing this, she said, thank you. And I was like, what are you saying thank you for? He did it all because <laughs> Jesus was next to me. I was like, you did it all. Thank him. And uh, that was, it was really stupid out of my mouth, but whatever. I was like, and she's like, no, you redeemed me. And I was like, he redeemed you. His blood redeemed you. And she's like, all women or she says something like most women hate me and it was like I could feel even though she was all love and all everything God I could feel that heaviness when she said women hate me for what I've done mankind hates me for what I did and she was like so I just want to say thank you and I remember crying. I was like, I don't know if I was crying in the spiritual realm, but I was crying here. Um, because like I opened my eyes all over. Um, but it was just, it was really incredible. Sometimes it's just a matter of us being like consciously aware of um, you know, what we've done, you know, what we've maybe done to hurt others, but even, you know, we make mistakes and she made one mistake. Yeah, it was a big mistake. <laughs> a huge mistake. <laughs> but so when you saw her, you saw her, I guess, in her glorified form, which is why she looked like the way she looked, right? Because like you said, she didn't have flesh like we did. But do you believe it's because she was glorified? I do. And it's interesting because the Lord has taken me to scripture over the last few months 
over to that, where it says in scripture that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ had to come and become flesh and blood in order to redeem us from the flesh and blood. So I believe, honestly, I believe that when Adam and Eve, that was their original state, possibly, or something close to it, before um, before they sinned. And then when they sinned, and I've done some teachings on this, when they've sinned, what happens is we immediately are overcome with shame. So we immediately, in our mind, in our thoughts, in our emotions, we, we immediately begin to think negative things, right? So as soon as they they thought, oh no, we've messed up, they then clothed themselves with what they believed is what they needed to hide themselves. So I believe that there was like this process that um, they created over themselves, or that could be in scripture where Jesus, where it says Jesus clothed them, or God clothed them. That could have been then the flesh and blood. So I believe that when we are redeemed back to the garden, um, I believe that we won't we won't have these 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 skin suits. <laughs> like I just because I mean these these die. It doesn't make sense when the Lord said, "I came to do it all." It doesn't make sense why we're still dying. And that's one of, that's been my mission of like prayer and intercession of, okay, Lord, is there more? Is there more we have to do? Because uh, you, you did it all. So what is it that we need to do? And you said there's another thing that Jesus mentioned to you while you were in heaven uh, during this encounter, um, Eve or whatever, I guess the garden during this time, you mentioned that the Lord told you how the devil does mind control. Could you touch on that, that a bit? Yes. Um, the devil is, he is the, he is the master of mind control. He, he uses frequencies. He uses sounds. He uses, uh, I mean, the biggest one that we can talk about, the most recent one was that, uh, Travis Scott concert where people said, and they explained the feeling, <laughs> they explained what happened when those frequencies were released. And when that happened, they, they, there are some people that explain sounds or feelings. Um, I was actually in that area because I was at a conference and I was flying out. So I was at the airport in that area and I felt, um, and it's interesting because the Lord allowed me to, to feel it, but, um, like it was like a pressure change, a shift in the atmosphere. All of a sudden I started spinning. I felt like I was going to vomit. I could, there was nothing I could do. There's, I couldn't think it was just, it was just like, it came down so quick, um, reached out to my ministry partner was like, pray for me right now. I'm under massive attack, but the Lord had shown me <clears throat> that Satan uses the mind control to, uh, to control and to manifest things here into this realm that we're in right now. So it's through our soul um, our soul holds the mind, the will, and the emotions. We we have free will within the soul. So we can build up our spirit all day long. We can be worshiping and reading the Bible. But if our soul still has trauma that it's holding on to, if our soul still has past uh, memories and fragments and things that we're not dealing with, 
then Satan comes into our soul and attaches to that part of our soul that's that doesn't believe that Christ did it all, that doesn't accept the love of God, is still bitter, still unforgiving. And Satan uses that part to then get us to believe something that isn't, which is so big right now. We see it, we're like, I mean, we, we started seeing it with, you know, what happened back a few years ago or a couple of years ago, um, where we're like, how is it that people aren't seeing the truth? How is it that people aren't seeing it? Because there's this control, this mind control, or a connection of a counterfeit consciousness that begins to happen within our minds, within our brains, within our hearts, that we believe and perceive something that completely is not. And yet somebody sitting right next to them could have a completely different view and a completely different perception. So, Anne, let's go back to Proverbs 31, how it's not just for women that you say, how it is for women, but it's not solely for women because it talks about, it's actually talking about the bride of Christ. Could you just explain that a little bit? What parts of it, you know, what parts of it come to life for it being uh, for men and women? Well, actually, when uh, if you actually look at the Greek and the Hebrew in there, you'll see it's talking about the bride of Christ, which would mean that it's men too. It's bride of Christ isn't just the women. So, um, so when you go into that and you see that, but then the really cool thing is it talks about, and I actually this this actually encourages me to read it again because I think it really is where we're at right now in today's time is that it says in the Proverbs 31, it says um, that it doesn't, I don't know if it necessarily say in the end times, but it says you will be the people that will provide when there is a lack. You will, you will have the food, you will have the money, you will have the resources because what you have will provide it for those that don't so that they can see the love of Christ through you and in that, that will be the evangelism to those that don't know who Christ is. So it really is <clears throat> talking about the overabundance of finances, of food, of provision, of things, resources um, that we will have in the end times that the bride of Christ, and I don't say the end times like, <clears throat> I was like, then it's always the end times, right? I mean, like, it's just, but like during this time more so than ever, you know, we're, we're hearing different things of what could happen this, this next year, this, this next couple of years, where there could be a lot of lack of things, where this is like maybe the time to press in and read Proverbs 31 again and go, oh, wow, I will have the energy, I will have the time, I will have the resources, and I will be able to witness through this to help others rather than the fear and that's the biggest thing is we cannot be stuck in fear we have to be like wait a minute i am proverbs 31 i am the bride of christ i am married to christ he already did it like and who am i as a wife of christ i like i get everything i get the gold card i get the car i get the private jet you know like that's that's who i am you know, so it's not even just as being the daughter of the most high king of kings. We are to supply to those that don't have. 
not be the poor, impoverished Christians that the church has made us to believe um, and to think that if you're a Christian, you're going to be poor, you're going to be sick, you're going to have to go to church every every week and, you know, sew into, sew into maybe making some more money that week and pray for your sickness and pray for your family members when really, no, like we're supposed to be healthy. We're not to die because we are now in Christ and we are supposed to have an abundance, an abundance. You even told me that the Lord uses you to help usher people to the courtrooms of heaven. How do you do that? You know, actually that started, um, a lot of people know me by uh, interceding during 2020, during the Lettuce Worship Movement with Sean Foyt. But um, so that's actually where it started was um, I would go to these events and it started off with the Lord just saying, I want you to go um, to Portland, Oregon, and I want you to pray over this particular area where the event's going to be and obviously go to the event, enjoy it. But I want you to pray over the area and break down the territorial, um, the, well, there was a little, there was a, I, mean, I don't even need to go into it. It's Portland, Oregon, right? Um, so I went and prayed, I prayed over the area, went to the event, and I met some great, amazing young men and women of God that were on fire. And I prayed for them. And I remember feeling this like passion in me when I was praying for them. And I felt like the Lord was saying like, this is it. This is your, this is your calling right now. Well, at the time I thought this is my calling, you know, like when you're, you're young in ministry, you think the first thing is your calling and you don't realize that it's, you know, there's tools he's adding to your tool out and, you know, he's giving you keys to different, you know, office buildings, but, uh, I I went to Seattle next with this young group and prayed there and came up against a massive amounts of Antifa and pure straight up Satanists. I mean, they were straight up Satanists wearing all of the black paraphernalia with the upside down crosses and the burning of the sage and all that stuff and doing literally curses and witchcraft right there, sending it to us. And um, it couldn't touch us. And I remember feeling so like invigorated by that. Like, you know, like, when you, when you win a battle, whatever it is, you're like, yeah. And I felt like that in the middle of the battle, like, wow, they can't touch me. Like God's got me. And after that, I flew back home and, um, I remember looking at the schedule and they were supposed to go to their next, uh, their next event was going to be in the Midwest. And I think they were calling it the Midwest tour. And I thought, I think they were starting in Minneapolis. And I thought, Lord, if you want me to go, please tell me. And, you know, like it's during the time that everybody's in lockdown. Right. So nobody can leave their house. Nobody can leave. So if anything, it's like even a better time to be traveling because nobody's there. And the Lord told me very clearly. And I went to the throne room of heaven and I asked for a decree. And he said, yeah, I want you to go this, 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 this. And he even told me which hotels and where to go and where to stay. And when I was um, when I started the first event out in the Midwest, I would pray over people. I take them into the throne room. I, I literally start by quoting scripture and saying, okay, let's go to the throne room. 
and I'll say, can I pray for you? And they don't know that I'm going to deliver them. Prior to this, I thought deliverance had to be like the laying on hands, get out in Jesus name. Like I didn't realize that just removing legal rights doesn't allow the demons to be there anymore. So they're gone. They don't have to vomit. They don't have to go into compulsions. But I would pray over somebody and I'd take them to the throne room and I would let Holy Spirit just speak to me what it is they needed to repent of. And, and after the prayer, they would be like, oh my gosh, how'd you know this? How'd you know that? And I'm like, well, Holy Spirit just told me. And um, they would be set free. They would be completely set free. There was one person that had Parkinson's. I'll never forget. That was down in, um, I think it was Fort Lauderdale. He came up, he actually went to Dr. Charles Caruco, who travels with Sean Foyt quite a bit. He went to Charles. We call him Dr. Charles. And, and Charles actually brought him over to me. And he said, Anne, will you pray for him? I think you know, Holy Spirit must have told him that my grandfather had Parkinson's. So I end up laying my hands on him and praying for him. And I could feel his body shaking when I first laid my hands on him. And by the end of the prayer, and Charles, Dr. Charles was there um, also laying hands on him and praying in tongues and praying. But um, well, I could feel his body calm as I ended the prayer. Like, it's like his body was shaking and he was a young man. He had to have been in his thirties maybe. And it, he was, I mean, the fact that his whole body was shaking at this point, he had to have been pretty intense. Um, I would love for someone to find him because I never got his information. I would love to just, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just trusting in God that it just changed his life. Now he's some wild evangelist somewhere. That was pretty incredible. Um, I've had other point. I've had other times where I'm praying for somebody, and I've had other seers that were part of the group, part of the lettuce worship group, say something like, "Yeah, I saw you praying for that particular person." And when you first walked over to them, I was like, "Oh no, those demons!" And then they said, like, as soon as you like would start praying, we could see the demons leaving, and that you know it just goes to show if there's no legal right they have to leave they have to leave now you know if they come back it's because there is a legal right now they can still but sometimes we have a soul fragment from past trauma that has that's holding on to that legal right that allows for that demon to come back in and then we have to go deeper hey who in me is allowing this right now but other than that it's like we can just pray in the throne room before god and say god this is what you created me to be you didn't create me to be sick. You didn't create me to be in poverty. You didn't create me to be going through all these divorces. You didn't create me for, you didn't create my kids to be sick, whatever it might be. And to like throw that in his face or, you know, give it to him. Remind, it says it in his word, remind me, right? Remind me. So remind God and say, God, this is who I am before the foundations of the world. This is who I am. This is who you created me to be. So now, Let's do something, Lord. You and I, let's do something. Let's let your angels go to work. Amen. And you even mentioned one time that you guys prayed for someone's leg to grow back who was an amputee. Yes, that was incredible. That was in the Florida area too. I can't remember. We went to three different places in Florida during that time in 2020. A man was in a wheelchair. He was a, he was a homeless man. And so he had his wheelchair and he had like his bags, his bags on the back of his wheelchair 
and um, he was watching the concert from kind of from afar. But the conference, the the uh, concert was down on the grass, so I don't think he could have really easily been able to get down there. But he was watching it. It's so funny because my friend and I, we we would we would have fun with like, oh, let's go pray for that person. Let's go pray for that person. And she was a super strong seer. And I wasn't so much, I was more of like discerning or the knowing at the time. I would see in visions. I wasn't like what I am now. And she would say, let's go pray for this person, that person, or you pray for the person. Or but we would have fun doing it. Just a young Gen Zer, just, I love her. And uh, she pointed to him and she said, let's pray for him. Let's, let's go pray for his leg to grow out. I've prayed for somebody else's leg to grow out and it grew out. Let's go do it. You know, just no fear. No, just just all love, just like, let's go do it. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we run over to him and we're like, can we pray for you? We might've started with some small talk first. And then we asked if we could pray for him. And, and he was like, okay, okay. Yeah, you can pray for me. And he had like this big, this huge cross and the cross kind of was like one of those layered crosses, but it was really big on his chest. And he said he was a military veteran. And not only was he was a veteran, but he had lost his leg um, because of a shooting in his neighborhood, like some sort of a gang shooting. And um, it was a retaliation. Somehow he got in between. And uh, so we're like, okay, well, let's let's pray for it to grow back. Do you want it to grow back? And he was like, yeah. But, you know, you could tell, like, he didn't really believe. So we're praying. I do. So she tells me, you start. You take them in the throne room, you break off all of it, and then let's just pray for the power, just hit, slam into him, and he will grow this leg back. So I do, and I start praying, and then we start praying together because I finished that repentance. And his leg, um, so it was cut off at the knee, or maybe <clears throat> it was cut off before the knee. So it was like right where the, the thigh is. Um, I know there's a, there's a name for that bone, but, um, it was cut off right there. And all of a sudden it just starts like bouncing. It's like bouncing. His leg is bouncing, 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 and it's moving. And I'm like opening my eyes and I'm like, what is going, it is growing out. It's growing. And you can see in the spiritual realm, it's actually like, you can see the like moving and it's moving and it's bouncing. And you could tell he's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like that. And he's like grabbing the, his his uh, his wheelchair. And uh, she's like, praise God, let's keep praying, let's keep, this is awesome. She's so excited. We're all excited. And all of a sudden, he wheels back and he moves the wheelchair back. And he's like, I gotta go pee. I gotta go to the bathroom. And he just like, like he was a pro with that wheelchair because he went and he just like, went rushing towards the bathrooms. And I looked at her and I was like, what just happened? It was growing out. And she's like, it was growing out. And she has tears going down her eyes. And she's like, some people just get afraid. And I'm like, afraid of what? I didn't understand because I didn't really understand healing at that point. <coughs> So she, you know, she explained to me afterwards because it really bothered me because I'm like, you know, he was, his thing was growing up, it was going to grow out. And she said that some people 
just all of a sudden will come into the fear of like, what, what now my life will change. This will be different. Um, but also I see it in the way that everything that they had believed is now a lie, right? So now all of a sudden their lies that they've been believing that they could never be healed, those lies now become truths that they can be healed. So it's this like thing within their soul that like, no, I can never be healed to, oh, it's happening. To face that head on is gotta be like, like boom. It's just, it's wild how it works. How long would you say his leg grew out? I would say at least a good three or four inches. I mean, we were seeing it. It seemed more than that in the spiritual realm. Um, but I think in the physical realm, at least to go three or four inches. So I wonder how it'd be interesting to know, like, how was that with his skin, with his leg, you know, when he looked at it later, I mean, maybe that brought him into deeper, deeper relationship with the Lord. And it's amazing how you saw it first in the spiritual and then you saw it in the physical. So you saw in the spiritual, how it was supposed to be. And then you saw it become manifest in the physical realm. That is wild, actually, now that, I, now that I hear you say that, because everything has to happen. Everything has to happen in the spiritual realm first before it gets released into the physical realm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So all this, so your whole ministry, this whole life of you being born again, you said occurred because you completely surrendered to Jesus. You didn't halfway do it. It wasn't a one foot in the world, one foot in God. You said your life became the way it was. You're able to minister the way you do. You're able to go to the throne room the way you do. You're able to pr pray for people and they're healed is because you completely surrendered your entire life to Jesus. Could you please touch on that? Oh gosh, I think it is the most important thing that we can do as a believer is to surrender and I think a lot of times we we think that we're surrendering or there's that, I think there's a scripture that's like surrender daily or some people will say die daily, but it doesn't necessarily mean surrender your flesh as it means your soul, which holds the mind, the will, the emotions, right? So for me, it was, it was, a, it was kind of pieces in the beginning where I surrendered my health when I broke my back. I surrender that fully to the Lord. Like, okay, Lord, I know that if I do what you say, that I will be free from pain, which by the way, still, it will be 10 years in May this year, in May, 2023, and it'll be 10 years, 100% free from pain. So the Lord literally does, when he promises something, he comes through with it. So in, in that case, it was something that he had to come through with right away. <laughs> but, um, I surrendered my health and then eventually it was in 2019 before everything hit, uh, he actually had me move. He said, I want you to move. I want you to get rid of everything or mostly everything and move. I had to surrender that because I liked where I was. I liked all the things I had, but he said, no, I want you to downsize. And I just trusted. I obeyed. I said, okay, I'll do this for you, Lord. And then the next thing is he said, I want you to cut out all the people in your life, which makes sense now because 
I found out there were some other people that were in my life that were there um, because they also had a mandate from the enemy to thwart my path. So the, the enemy will try to bring in a lot of like undercover agents into our life and friends that weren't necessarily God-destined friends. So he had me cut people off. And during this time, I think because the first time when he said, do all this and you'll be free from pain. And then, you know, it had been three, four or five years. And I'd seen, I'd seen the promises. He had done what he said that I was able to more easily surrender. So I surrendered the people in my life. I didn't have anybody. I had my mom and my sister. And it was like, I literally just surrendered. I just kept surrendering everything to the point where everything's his. The enemy can't take, he can take anything away from me, but it doesn't, it's not taking away from me. It's taking away from God. It's taking away from Jesus because it's already in Jesus' hands. So it could be even my family. It could be my finances. It could be the ministry to, to the point where I just surrendered. And then the Lord just started giving me things. It's, I, I know it sounds cliche, um, if that's even a right word for it. But, you know, like when your hands are full of things, you can't put anything in it. And if your hands are full of things that God does not have planned for you, and you mix that with what God has planned for you, well, then you could end up destroying what he has planned for you. So um, there's there's a huge there's a huge step in when we obey and fully surrender. I mean, like to the point and it's not, oh, I, you know, I would die for anybody or I die for you, God. There's things in our life that like we have to really go deep down on and 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 think like, what is it that I haven't surrendered? Is it my cup of coffee in the morning? Even that is a surrender. Is it the the chapstick I use, the lip gloss I use, have I surrendered that to the Lord? If they stop making it this next year or tomorrow, am I going to be okay? <laughs> you know, and that matters for coffee drinkers. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so, Anne, tell us about your book. You mentioned earlier that you wrote a book about your life and it's called Bali girl. Do you have it with you or no? I do. Okay. It's what's it about? <clears throat> That's the back of it. Um, so it's actually about that journey in 2018. <clears throat> sorry, 2013, when I broke my back um, from right before, a couple months before I broke my back to um, about a year after. And <clears throat> it's very juicy. If, if you want like a romance, raw, like uh, true, even though it's a Christian book, and it's a biography, but I mean, I'm truthful about like, you know, one night I might be sleeping with one guy and the next morning I'm praying out to God, you know, like I'm, I'm putting that all out there in that book, in the book that I talk about and my journey of surrendering during that time, what I surrender to the Lord, um, in, in my journey of, of faith, what I thought was like the big momentous time of my life. And of course, like everything builds on itself. God prepares us for more and more and more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you have a ministry. Tell us the name of your ministry and what it's about. The name of the ministry is called Advocates of Heaven. And uh, we started it, uh, my, the co-founder and I, um, we both started it back in 2021. 
And it was right after um, I finished touring with Sean Foyt in the Let Us Worship movement. And the Lord had said, I want you to uh, start teaching people to go into the court of heaven. I want you to start teaching people what it is that you're praying, how others can pray the type of prayers that you pray. And the Lord connected me to Alexandria and um, her and I both, she came from a very strong background of courts of heaven. And she immediately was like, okay, let's just write a bunch of prayers, record them so people can just listen to these deliverance prayers and get the deliverance um, with it. So that's how we started off is with these pre-recorded deliverance prayers from lust, pornography, witchcraft, whatever it might be. We've got a prayer for everything. Um, but then about a year later, we started going more into uh, educating and equipping, uh, mentorshipping the, um, the students in the ministry that were spending time with us. And we got deeper with them, teaching them about spiritual senses, how to activate them, how to protect them, how to protect our gifts and our calling. Um, one of the biggest things that I've been teaching lately is realms and the soul and how the soul is so important in that in that surrender, because we have parts of us that like we might go on a we try to go on a two or three day water fast and we see something, we see a cookie or a cracker on the counter and we grab it and we eat it. And we're like, Oh Lord, I'm so sorry. And then you like beat yourself up over it. Well, it's because a soul fragment, there was something within us that like caused us to like a compulsive, like to do that. It's not like that some crazy demon saying, you know, break your fast. It's just a compulsive, you know, thing within the soul. So I've been teaching and, and equipping others to uh to heal those parts of us so that we can be fully surrendered and be that light and be that container and that vessel for when the glory does hit that we can be there and we're not knocked out by the glory and that we're like oh my gosh we're just gonna I mean you see that in churches right they 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 get knocked down the glory they're rolling around the floor they can't they can't put three words together but like the Lord wants us to be that container and the vessel of the glory that we can contain it and that we can go out and minister to others. So that's the mission of my ministry. We, um, it's been really incredible. I would say probably about uh, seven months now that we've been meeting on Thursday evenings and I'm probably going to switch it up. Sometimes we do it on Sundays and it's just free for all. Anybody come. They have to renounce the kingdom of darkness. That's like key immediately. The first thing that happens on the call. Um, and we've had people lock out like, oh, no, she's serious. <laughs> but we have them do the renunciation. And then we um, we people go into that secret place with the Lord. You know, we we um, we break off the legal rights or teach them how to do that. And it's usually some sort of basis of fear in us that says, no, I can't. I can't experience Jesus like that. I can't experience the Lord like that. When when the Lord has said, like, the veil is torn, I'm accessible to you. Ephesians 2, 6 says that you're already seen in the heavenly places. So um, that's a lot of what we do is is really just bringing, bringing um, the sons of God, the daughters, the, the sons together with, with and through and connected to the heart of the Father. Um, so that's, that's my passion. Amen. 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 
And could you do us a favor? Could you pray for everyone watching and hearing right now that they could have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ that you learned how to have and for them to be able to go into the throne room and bring their request to the Lord. Could you do that for us right now, please? Absolutely. I would be super honored to do this. So for, for those that are listening and watching, I, I just say, just, just take a couple of deep breaths and just let out all of the anxiety and fear and anything that you've just been burdened with and let it out because your breath is the breath of God. And even if you don't know who God is yet and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he still has something for you because you're still his son, you're still his daughter. So Father God, right now, I just come before you and I ask, Father, your word says in Hebrews 4.16, as we draw near to the throne of grace, Father, that we will have grace and mercy. So Father, we draw near to your throne. We draw near to your throne and we ask that you open up everybody's books according to Psalms 139.16, where you have already written out their purpose, their destiny, their mandate, their calling, who their God-destined spouses are, who their God-destined business partners are, what it is that they are supposed to be doing in this earth right now. Father God, I ask that you remember that. I ask that you see their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the beginning of time, Father. I ask that you see that, and I ask that you remember everything, Father, that you have ordained for us, that you have already written for us. And as you do that, Lord, I ask that the angels that are appointed to us, and the angels that know and have seen what is going on, you see in your word in Matthew 18, 10, <clears throat> that there are angels before your throne reporting on behalf of us. So I ask that they report and I ask that they testify on behalf of what Satan and the kingdom of darkness is doing to come against our purpose and our destiny, Father. I ask that everybody see, Father God, that they see their purpose, they see their destiny, that they see who their God-destined spouses are, that they see if they are walking in rebellion right now, if they are walking outside of your good and perfect will, that you show that to them. I ask that you give them visions and dreams, Lord. I ask that as they close their eyes and they step into that place, as they call out to you, as they surrender their sin, as they surrender the things that they're holding on to, Father, they will see you, they will feel you, they will hear you, they will smell you. They will smell that sweet sense, Father God. I ask, Father God, that they will hear your voice for those that have been crying out to you and saying, I just want to hear you. I just want to hear your voice. Lord, I ask that they hear that, Father God, if, even if it's their own voice, that they will know this is you. Lord, I ask that. I ask that all of the, the records, your records in heaven, Malachi 3.16, as everything that we have done, everything that our generation, our bloodline has done to stop us, to hinder us from walking in our purpose and destiny, from having these visions and revelations in the dreams, Lord. We ask that our legal team of angels, I ask for my legal team of angels, advocates of heaven legal team of angels, to present to you, Father, all the legal rights that have held them back all these years, Lord, even if there's demonic oppression, even if there's demonic depression, if there's people that are they're contemplating decisions that, that could never be 
overturned and never be changed, Lord. We bring that before you. Lord, we bring before you any and all confusion, all witchcraft, all uh, mind-bending spells, all uh, curses, Father, especially witchcraft and spells that are causing people to be in counterfeit relationships, even counterfeit marriages, Lord. Your word even says that we have a count that we have a goddess and spouse. And if we are married to um a counterfeit, Lord, I ask that you reveal that to us in mercy and grace, though. Lord, I ask, Father God, that, that if there is any um hexes, vexes, spells, voodoo, incantation, if if any of our soul fragments have been involved in any form of occult or magic or sex magic or black magic that we don't know of any mind control that has happened to us father god we ask that it be broken right now in jesus name we ask father god that all the records and all the legal rights all the sins all the transgressions all the iniquities everything all the verdicts from the courts of hell and any verdict including any and all accusations that other people have against us that have brought against us or even accusations that we've had against ourselves even thoughts and feelings that don't align with having the mind of Christ, Father God, we bring that before you right now, before your throne. And Father God, we ask, Father God, we ask for forgiveness. We repent of these. We renounce them all the way back to the hand of Father God. And we ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive us. Please bless us. Please bless us with the blessings that have been stolen from us because of this. And please release us from these witchcraft and the hexes and the voodoo and everything that has controlled our mind. Lord, we forgive, bless, and release those that have brought this upon us, including our own soul, including our own self, if we have done this to ourselves, Lord. And Lord, if we have blamed you in any way, if we've blamed Father, if we've blamed King Jesus, if we've blamed Holy Spirit in any way, please forgive us. We're sorry. And your word says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins as sins, that you'll be just and righteous to be forgiven. So we receive your forgiveness, Father. We thank you that the blood of Jesus is running through all of our realms, our territories and gates right now. We thank you that all the covenants, oaths, contracts, vows, and agreements that have been made with the kingdom and darkness are being destroyed right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the angels, the most high God, are removing all the demonic entities from in, on, around us and all of our realms, territories, and gates right now. Ooh, we thank you, Father, that you're sending in angels and the most high living God to remove all soul invaders and all astral projectors in, on, around all of us in our realms, territories, and gates right now. And we ask that you release Holy Spirit fire upon them, pour the blood of Jesus Christ on their throat and take them into criminal court for contempt of court charges, Lord. They are within the proximity of Jesus Christ. So Father God, we ask a full judgment be released upon them, but we ask that they also know that what their purpose and destiny is and that they know the truth. We ask that you deprogram them. We ask that you deprogram all of us in any of our soul fragments from all lies, all trauma, and all of the programming that the enemy has instilled in our life to make us believe things that are not of to make us turn away from the good and perfect will that God has. We thank you that you're deprogramming us from our body, our soul, and our spirit, from our spiritual DNA, RNA, and from our physical DNA, RNA, DNA, uh, RNA, DNA, G 
uh, epigenetics chromosomes and all of our body systems right now, Father God. We thank you that King Jesus is restoring our minds and our thoughts, Father God. We thank you that King Jesus is restoring our hearts. We thank you that angels of the most high living God are rescuing any of our soul fragments that are in regions of captivity. We thank you, Father, that you are healing them. Your word says in first in John 1, 1 through 5, that in the beginning, the word was with God and nothing was created without the word and through the word. And Father God, in the beginning, we didn't have soul fragments. We didn't have this trauma. So I ask that you undo all the trauma and all the lies and all the beliefs, Father. We thank you. We ask that if there are any court cases that Satan in the kingdom of darkness tries to reestablish, Father God, we place the fact that they made these contracts under duress and that these are not legally binding doc documents, that they are void, they are null and void in your kingdom, God. And we thank you for the healing and the restoration that everybody's receiving right now. We thank you that the sevenfold restitution is being released from heaven right now, according to Matthew 6.10, that your kingdom come, Yahweh, your will be done, Yahweh, on earth as it is in heaven, and you're releasing that. You're releasing healing through people's bodies right now, especially anybody with I don't know right now. I just got Down syndrome. Lord, I thank you that you're healing Down syndrome. I thank you that you're healing Parkinson's disease. Even for people that have it in their bloodline they, and they don't have it, they haven't experienced it, that they're being healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you're opening eyes, that you're opening the spiritual eyes, that you're opening up all the spiritual senses, the eyes, the ears. You're opening up their sense of smell so they can smell with the discernment. They can taste and they can touch in the spiritual realm. I thank you, Father, that you're going to take them into new realms, in new dimensions, only through you and only through King Jesus, because Jesus is the door and he's the pathway. And for those, Father God, right now that just listened to this prayer and they hadn't received King Jesus into their heart as full Lord and Savior, that he is the Lord over, your, over their heart, Lord. I think that they're calling out to you right now and they're saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord. I want you to rule over my life so that I can then place the dominion and the authority that the kingdom of God has into this earth and that you're going to use me as a vessel, that you're going to fill me with light and that you're going to help me help others transform this kingdom and the kingdom that God has already established before the beginning of time. And we thank you, Father. We thank you that you're doing that right now. We thank you that you're healing people's unseen legs, unseen like. <clears throat> calves, maybe Achilles. I thank you, Father God, right now that you're just releasing your healing, that the angels are releasing healing right now. People are feeling the Holy Spirit. They are feeling the fire of God right now. I thank you, Father. I thank you that that you have not just come to save us and redeem us, but Father God, you have come to bring us back into that garden, bring us back into the Eden, Father God, to where we have that intimacy with you. And that we will know and we will feel you and we will without a doubt know that you have so much love for us. And that in that love, that all fear and all witchcraft will break because your word says in Proverbs 26, 2, that a curse cannot land without a cause. So, Father, I thank you that all those witchcraft was being broken, that you are then restoring our hearts, that you're restoring the hearts to the Father, Father God, that they will feel you and they will sense you in such a deeper way. We thank you so much, Father. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Everyone, I will have Anne 
uh, her information. I will have all her information in the description below. If you would like to join her ministry, if you'd like to visit, if you'd like to purchase her book, if you'd like to learn more about her, please go there. And thank you again so much for being with us today and sharing your testimony with the world. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. You are, you're such a beautiful light. As soon as I saw you, I was like, oh, I love her already.